been talking about on Sundays when I've been here. Anybody remember any of it? Wisdom. wisdom. I like wisdom. I, I like it a lot. And uh, I could learn about it all the time. I think it's a really good thing. We started out talking about two kinds of wisdom. Does anybody remember what they were? Godly wisdom and devilish wisdom. How many of you got some of that devilish wisdom? Every one of us got a little bit of it. We know what it's about. We've heard of it. We've used it. Two or three of us have admittedly used it, right? To get our way when we wanted something, right? Nobody, nobody in here has ever poked their bottom lip out when they were three years old in the cookie jar or said they wanted something or twisted something to get their way, right? Everybody's used that devilish wisdom. Everybody has. Um, just some people will admit it. Some people won't. And then we talked about wisdom to get the results that we needed. Uh, wisdom actually thinks about the end results. It thinks about things before it does them. It thinks about what's going to happen when you do it. It thinks about who it's going to affect. Then we talked about uh, wisdom for a job, and we talked about wisdom to be an example and wisdom to be a witness for the Lord. And we talked about then how to get wisdom. Does anybody remember how we get it? We asked the Lord for it. And if you don't remember any of this stuff, there are actually tapes out there if you would dare listen to it again. You know, but there are tapes out there. And then today we're going to talk about something else that's really exciting, I think. It's going, we're going to, we'll read it and then I'll tell you what the title is. If you would, put up there Proverbs 4, verse 1 in the Amplified, guys. It says, Hear, my son, the instruction of a father, and pay attention in order to gain and to know intelligent discernment, comprehension, and interpretation of spiritual matters. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my teaching. When I, Solomon, was a son with my father David, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother Bathsheba, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get skillful and godly wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will keep you. Defend and protect you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is get wisdom, skillful and godly wisdom. You know, notice he discerns between godly wisdom and devilish wisdom there. Skillful and godly wisdom. Um, for skillful and godly wisdom is the principal thing. And with all you've gotten, get understanding. Prize wisdom highly and exalt her, and she will exalt and promote you. She will bring you to honor and embrace when you embrace her. She shall give your, to your head a wreath of gracefulness, a crown of beauty, and glory, and uh, glory will she deliver you, to deliver to you. Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of your life shall be many. I have taught you in the way of skillful and godly wisdom, which is, com which is comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your steps shall not be hampered. Your path will be clear and open. And when you run, you shall not stumble. Now, how does that sound to you? Sounds really good. 
Why wouldn't we want this godly wisdom? We would. I think every person would. So what I want to talk to you about this morning is growing in wisdom. Growing in this wisdom, this godly wisdom. So let's look at Proverbs 4, verse 5 in the Living Bible. And I'll, t- and I'll show you some indications of it. It says in the Living Bible, learn to be wise, he said, and develop good judgment. Proverbs 4, 5. Learn to be wise and develop good judgment and common sense. I cannot overemphasize this point. So if we can learn to be wise, it means that we can be taught to be wise. Right? Wise means having or showing experience, knowledge, or good judgment, responding sensibly or shrewdly to a particular situation. Now, I know for years, oh, I don't remember when he started, but Keith was taking flying lessons, and he used to have these videos. I don't know if any of you have ever seen them or not. They're called the King Videos on Flying. And he used to watch them, and I got the pleasures of watching them with him night and day for week after 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 week. King videos. And the people that were teaching the videos was John and Martha King. This was their names. Well, at the end of every video, they would say, John would say, I wish you good judgment or something like that. I forget exactly how they said it. Um, And don't ask me to tell you a joke because I'll tell you the punchline instead of the joke and you'll have to go back and find out what the joke was. So Keith always has to tell the joke after I tell the punchline. So anyway, but um, John would always say, I wish you good judgment in flying. And Martha would always look at him and she'd say, John, now why would you go and do something like that? She'd say, because you know how good judgment comes? By making bad judgment. Well, I don't believe that. I don't believe we have to have good judgment by making bad judgment. I don't believe it for one minute that I have to have good judgment by making bad judgment. I believe I can use the Bible as my guideline and God and the Holy Spirit as my guide and I don't ever have to make bad judgments. Ever, ever, ever. And I can look at somebody else, what they did and how they made a mistake and keep myself from making bad judgments. And I can be wise and avoid a lot of traps that a lot of other people fall into because I'm not a dummy even though I'm blind. I can avoid those things. And I believe that's what God would teach us. And that's what he's talking about, us learning wisdom. We can learn wisdom from others that are around us and from the Bible. The Bible says that the Old Testament was given to us as an example for us to follow to avoid the things and the traps that they fell into to overcome in the New Testament. We don't have to live that way, but it can be an example to us to keep us from falling into those things. Like when he said, don't go out and pick up the manna, what did they do? They rebelled and did just exactly the opposite of what he said do. So when God tells you not to do something, what should you do? Not do it. I mean, we should learn from that, right? 
If he says, get up and get all your stuff ready to go and uh, take this with you and, and go to the Red Sea, then what should you do? You should get up and go. I mean, that's what he's talking about. We should be able to learn from the people that he set before us and the things that he set before us. That's where our good judgment should come from. We should be able to learn from those things. We don't have to learn from if he says, Rob, don't do this. Well, he's got to go do it and fall on his face five times before he realizes, hey, this isn't working. Right? He should just be able to get it the first time when God says, don't do it. Don't do it. Right? Okay, so let's go on, and we'll look at a couple of other things. I want you to notice somebody who did this. Now, if, if there's anybody that we should follow their example, it's who? Jesus, right. So let's look at Luke 2, verse 52 in the NIV. It says, and who? Okay, three people are awakened here. Let's try that one more time. Y'all know I'll stop with you. Okay, and who? Jesus, Jesus grew in what? And, and Jesus did what? And Jesus did what? Jesus grew in what? Jesus had to grow in what? Now, if Jesus had to grow in wisdom... Do you reckon you got to grow in wisdom or I got to grow in wisdom? I would say yes. When they went to look for Jesus, where did they find him? In the temple. And he was teaching all the elders and the teachers and all the other people that were in the temple because he had wisdom. Even then he had wisdom. And he had wisdom above a lot of the other teachers in there. And they'd sit there and they'd look him in the eye and they'd listen to everything he was saying and just their mouths would open. But you know what? He grew even in the wisdom that he had then. Because he followed and he said, I only do the things that my, I see my father do. And he followed his father's example. And he followed the things that God said for him to do. Reckon we would grow in wisdom if we did things that way? Or reckon we'd grow in wisdom if we follow the things that the world sets for us to do? How do you grow in wisdom? By doing the things that everybody out here says do or the things that God says do? How did Jesus grow in wisdom? Everything the Father says do, that's what he did. And that's how he grew in wisdom. Let's look at um, Proverbs, I mean, Psalms 90, verse 12. This is the King James, guys. It says, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. That's a little bit confusing, but let's read another one and then I'll explain this to you. Psalms 90 verse 12 in the Living Bible says, Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. What does that mean? What that really means is, God, show us to realize that there's more than just here and now. Help us to realize that there's more to life than just me sitting here in this chair today. 
Help me to realize that there's more to my life than just getting up and going to work in the end of today and tomorrow and the next day. Help me to realize that there's an end to this life, that there's something after this life, that there's something more important than just me doing what I do here. What is the point of this life? Teach me to number my days here. What am I doing here? That when I'm here, there's a point to me having been here and I need to account for every day that I'm here for what comes after here. It's kind of like going to school. There's a lot of people that look back on school and they think, you know what, if I would have just applied myself just a tiny, tiny, tiny bit more, I could have made better grades. How many of you think that? I know I do. If I could have just applied myself just a little bit more, I could have done better and made better grades. Well, you know what? There's not a do-over. You can't go back from to first to twelfth grade and do it over again. But you know what? You can't do your life over again either. And when you get to heaven and you stand before the Lord and he says, what did you do with your life? You can't go back and say, you know what? I wished I would have not spent those 20 years missing it. I wish that I would have not spent these 10 years just wasting it, not doing anything for you, Lord. Because here I am standing before you and it's over. Because you know what? We have no guarantees of tomorrow. You don't know but what your life, it's a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. Amen. You don't know but what this afternoon you could walk out and God say, okay, um, I'm coming tomorrow. All of you's out of here. He sends Jesus and we're all out of here tomorrow. Do you know that? Are you ready for it? Have you done everything that you were supposed to do? That's what these verses are talking about. Let me read you another story, and I think you'll understand it a little bit better. Luke 12, uh, verse 13 in the NIV. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, um, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me judge or arbitrator between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of things he possesses. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. And there I'll store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of goods laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And God said to him, what? You wise man. Right? You wise person, you've stored up for your whole life. Now you can rest and take it easy. You've stored up for your family and your kids and everything is taken care of. Your retirement fund is set. Just sit still and rest. What did he say? You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. 
The New Living says that last verse like this. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Now, we all in here, let's take a poll. How many want to be a fool? Come on, at least one taker, right? The fool side. Okay, now how many want to be wise? That's what I thought. Okay, now let me ask you another question on that very same topic. How many of you spend 99.9999% of your life trying to make money to live in this life? You might as well raise your hand. You know it's the truth. You can't get out of it. Your focus is on how we're going to get the money to pay our bills, how we're going to get the money to do this, how we're going to get the money to do that, how this is going to come, how that's going to come. Which do you think more about? Getting the money to pay your bills or thinking about serving God? Uh-huh. What? Well, you, uh, uh. You're in church. God can hear you. You're not talking to me. He can hear you. Which do you think about the most? When you leave here this afternoon and tomorrow morning, what's going to be the very first priority you've got? I'm not saying a person shouldn't work. That's the furthest thing that I believe. I think a person should work. But I think a person should work to accomplish what God gave them the grace and ability to do to bring people into the kingdom. It should be the focus of accomplishing the task that God graced them to do to bring people into the kingdom, which I was trying to get out Friday night, and I think it kind of fell flat because everybody was asleep too. So, (laughs) But this man saved up all of his wealth, and he worked his whole life, but he had no relationship with God. What did God call him in the end? A fool. Now, we talked about in the beginning that we can learn to be wise. How many of you don't want to learn from your mistakes? You want to learn from somebody else's mistakes? Okay, that's what we're talking about this morning. I don't want to go through life every single day, every day of my life, and try to gain money. And everything I think about from the time I wake up in the morning is the stock market. Or what's this doing? Or what's I've got to do on my job? Or I'm so tired, oh, I can't even read my chapter today. Or I forgot to read my chapter today. And we don't have 15 minutes to give to God, but we have 8, 10, 12 hours, the best hours of our life to give to the world to store up this money to do what we need to do. Because what's going to happen at the end of this life? You can't take it with you. There ain't no coffin big enough to take your car. It ain't going to melt into ashes and then reappear when you get to heaven. You ain't going to want it anyway. Or that house you got, there's better up there. 
or this clothes that you've worked so hard for, or the jewelry that you've worked so hard for, or all the things that you worked so hard for. You ain't going to want it when you get to heaven. They're so much better when you get to heaven. But what is the most valuable thing that you can get? There's not anything in the world that's more valuable than that person sitting next to you or the one sitting behind you or the one that you work with next to. Do you know that person's life going to hell and you seeing their face when you walk the streets of gold and they come running up to you and throw their arms around you and say, you know what, one day I was walking down the hall at work and you just smiled at me and said, you look pretty today. Or I was at work one day and I didn't have anything to eat and you just handed me a $5 bill. Maybe it was your lunch money, but you just felt like, you know what, here, take this. And it made me turn to God. You know, I wonder about the situation with the guy that killed all the people just recently. I wonder if there wasn't somebody around him or his family that should have been ministering to him. I mean, we live in the United States of America. How many people do you know of that really have never heard of the Lord? I mean, there's, it's like we, we are ashamed of the things of God. We go out into our jobs and we really don't want to tell anybody that we go to church anymore. It's almost like we want to go like this and we don't want hardly anybody to know who we are or what we do or what we believe. And it's time that we come out of these boxes and we shine our light big enough and bright enough that people can see who we are because the world is going to hell. And they need to know that you believe in a God that will help them out of their torments and help them out of their fears and help them out of their struggles. But you've got to live differently than they live. And you've got to be wise enough to do differently than what they did and have answers differently than what they did. Let me show you how you can do that. Let's look at another thing. Um, let me read you this other verse and then we'll look at another thing. Look at Proverbs Chapter 30, verse 1. I want you to see this. I don't want us to be this way. This is the NIV. The sayings of Agar, son of Jacob, an oracle. This man declared to Ithiel, and Ithiel, y'all can pronounce all these names for me, to Euchel, I am the most ignorant of men. Are we going to learn from somebody, right? We're not going to be fools. Say, this is not me. This is not me. I do not have a man's understanding. I have not learned wisdom. You don't want this to be you, right? Nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. This is not who we want to be. We want to be one who learns wisdom and has knowledge of the Holy One. If we have knowledge of the Holy One, we will learn wisdom. Right? We're not going to stay in his area or his arena or we're not going to stay away from God. We're going to begin to think about the things of God, whether we're on our job, whether we're out at the mall. We're not going to go into the mall and there one shirt's left and be in a war battle over who gets it because it's Christmas season or the parking place either. Hmm? Huh? Okay. Look at Proverbs 4.11 in the Amplified again. I want you to see something real quickly before I read you this next verse about what wisdom actually is. 
I think it will help you as we need to read this next verse. Put it up on the screen if you don't have the Amplified. Wisdom is comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God. Now, how would you like that operating in your life just night and day? Comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God. That means you know what God's thinking about the situation when you get into it and you know how to handle it with his ways and his purposes and his insight. Wouldn't that just be great? Well, let's read about this and then I'll tell you how we can get that. Let's read Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. And I think most of you know the story, but I want to read it to you anyway. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. These he carried off into the temple of his God in Babylonia and put into the treasure of the house of God. And then the king ordered Ashpenaz, um, chief of his court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for, read that next word, three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. I was reading that and I thought, you know what? People don't train to serve God hardly for three years. But they're going to be trained to serve the king for three years. Hmm, okay, that's just a side journey thought. Among these were some from Judah. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. And Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself that way. So you understand what's going on. They have been summoned to serve, to train, to uh, serve the king. But they're serving food that Daniel feels that he shouldn't eat. Everybody clear, right? All right. And so uh, Daniel resolved he didn't want to eat the food. So now God had caused the official to show favor, favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you worse than all the other men your age? The king would have then had my head because of you. In other words, I could do this, but if I do this, he's going to chop off my head because I let you get by with this. And that's what happens a lot of times. It's not just that people don't want to do things for you. It's if they do it for you, then they could be in trouble for it. So they've got to have wisdom in order to be able to do what you're asking them to do. And so therefore, he's saying, how do we do this? All right, so here it is. Uh, Let's see. So Daniel said then to them, um, uh, let's see where it is. Uh, Said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Verse 12. 
This is what? Wisdom from God. Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed and tested them after ten days. Now what happened with the situation? Long story short. Daniel needed a favor. And he needed needed it from somebody that was not normal that you would get this kind of favor. He needed it from somebody that had never done this kind of thing before. Have you ever needed a favor in your life from the government, from the IRS, from a family member, from someone that you just know it's not going to happen? Have you ever needed anything? Y'all are quiet in here. Have you ever needed things to change and go your way? Have you ever needed a total and complete turnaround for things to be better in your life? How did you handle it? Did you go into the store and demand your rights? Did you say, I can't do this. The God I serve says, I can't do this. I have to pray or I have to fast or I can't live this way or I can't, I have to be in church on Sunday. I know there's a lot of people that say they want to serve in church and, and they go to their jobs and they say something like, I can't work on Sunday because I have to be in church on Sunday. How much favor you think that wins them with their bosses? Not so very much. And how much do you think it witnesses to them about serving God? Not so very much. Or the same thing about Friday nights. People kind of do that and they say, I, I can't work on Friday nights because I have to be in church. Or music people, I can't work on Thursday nights or Friday nights, you know, because I have to be in church. You know, we were traveling one time and there was this lady that came up to me years and years ago. And uh, she said, I don't know what's wrong with my marriage. I don't know what's wrong with my husband. He just won't listen to me. I tell him I have to be at church to serve. I have to be at church to serve. And I said, well, how much are you at church serving? She said, well, I have to be there Monday nights because I work on the hospitality. And then I have to be there Tuesday nights because I work with the grief team. And then I have to be there Wednesday nights because it's prayer. And then I have to be there Thursday nights because I'm with music. And then I have to be there Friday nights because it's... And, and I thought, hmm. It sounds like an excuse to me. I said, are you getting things done at home that you're supposed to get done? You can't use God for an excuse to get your way. You can't use God. I'm going to say that again. You can't use God for an excuse to get your way. You can't use God for an excuse to get the things that you want. That's what a lot of people do. That's really devilish wisdom. It's twisting the things of God to manipulate the things of God to get things that we want in our lives and not accomplish what God really wants us to do. Do you know that people are out there watching everything that you do? Do you know that that may be why the co-worker doesn't come to work or the boss doesn't come to work or the person standing next to you doesn't come, I mean, come to church? Because 
you are always the one that has to leave work early, supposedly, because you're using church functions for an excuse and they're having to do your work and cover for you. Oh, it got quiet. You don't want to use God for an excuse not to accomplish the things that you're supposed to accomplish because then it makes God look bad. Our job is to make God look good, not make him look bad. That's what Daniel was doing. He wasn't trying to make God look bad. How do you think it would have made God look if Daniel would have said, you know what, I can't eat that food, and then Daniel wasted down to nothing and got sick and got broken down and got the flu or got some bad thing wrong with him and went in before the king and said, the God I, I serve, he protects me and makes me well and takes care of me and I can't only eat this stuff. Huh? You know, there's people that do it every single day. They say, God said this and God said that and God heals my body and God takes care of my finances and God does this and God does that. And they're broke and sick and miserable. And they're not being a witness for God. That's not being wise. With Daniel, Daniel said, my God will take care of me. And guess what? God did. Because Daniel went on and said, he agreed with him for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, he looked healthier and better nourished than all the other men that ate the royal food. Because what Daniel was saying is, if I don't look better, then I'll do what you're saying. But that's not what we do. That's not what so many people do. If they don't, they go out and they say, you know what, God told me to move here, or God told me to do this, or God told me to not, not work, or God told me to not get this job, or God told me to not take this medicine, or God told me to not uh, help these people, or God told me to do this, and their lives are falling around them and crumbling around them, or God told me not to have this surgery, or God told me this, and their lives are just falling apart in every Every way and then people around them are looking at them and they're saying that's God that's God if that's God I don't want no part of him look at how sick they are look at how broke they are look at how weak they are if that's truly God I, I don't want any part of that God but that's not what Daniel did. He said, I'm not going to eat that, and my God is going to take care of me. After 10 days, he was better than before. So maybe we should check up on our lives, and if God says, move here, and after 10 days, things are not better than they were before, we might should do a checkup and say, uh, uh, okay, God, uh, maybe... Uh, I was the fool, and I missed it, and I didn't hear from you. Maybe I didn't get it right. And, and don't be so proud that, that you couldn't miss it. There's not a person in this room, including myself and including every person you know, and you can call their name and you can think of that's never missed it. Every person that you've heard of, think of, see, 
ever been around has missed it on something. It's the fool that doesn't admit that he's missed it and keeps going down the wrong track year after year after year after year after year and doesn't go back and say, hey, look, I missed it and get back on the right track. Who wants to stay on the wrong track for decade after decade? In misery. What kind of example does that set for the Lord? God desires that we flourish and we prosper and we get better and better and better and things in our life should be going up and up and up. And if things in your life are going down and down and down, it's checkup time. And yes, there is a thing called faith and you should be in faith. But if after days and weeks and months things just continue to go down and down and down, it's checkup time. Did I miss it somewhere? Did I get off track somewhere? And ask the Lord because these guys were better. And let's look at it. At the end of 10 days, they looked what? Healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave what? Knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of time set by the king to bring them in to the chief official, he presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And they were healthier and better than all the other guys that were around them. Um, let's see, verse 20 says, In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them what? Ten times better than all the others. And that was after they did what the Lord told them to do. It's a good sign after you're doing what the Lord told you to do if things are getting better in your life, yeah. not worse. Now, it goes on to tell something else that happened to Nebuchadnezzar and something else that uh, Daniel was able to do. So let's continue to read in ch uh, chapter 2. One night, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream in the second year of his reign, and it was disturbing. And if you look down at verse 12, the king was furious when he heard about it, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of the king's decree, men were filled, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. And when the commander came to kill them, Daniel handled this situation with what? I'm reading out of the New Living, uh, I think the King James says wisdom and what? Tact. The New Living says wisdom and discretion. Now, we covered just a little bit of this. Um, I think it was last week or the, uh, not, not last week, the last time I was here, about going into situations where you have to deal with a situation and people are putting pressure on you about how you handle this or what you do. We're going into the Christmas situation with family members and friends and all the people that we have to be around. And maybe you're going to get around people that don't think the way that you think. How many of you have family members that don't quite think the way that you think? 
How many of you just want to, by the time the Christmas season is over, just maybe wring their necks or something? Yeah, or preach to them or give them five Bibles or give them six tape series or, or whatever the case would be. Here is your verse. Okay? Put the King James up there. Yeah. It says, he handled this with, um, wait, no, we lost it. There you go. Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. That's NIV. Sorry, you're right. NIV. And the New Living says, he handled it with wisdom and discretion. That's how we need to handle things like the holiday season with our family. Wisdom and tact and wisdom and discretion. Do you know you can run family members off and friends off forever with things that you tell them? Do you know that one word from you could change their life forever in the wrong direction? Do you know that most likely they won't want to hear anything that you have to say about God? You know, the greatest thing that you can do for them is be an example of joy and happiness and peace through this holiday season. Do you know that? And one of the greatest things that you can do, uh uh-oh, here comes a tough one, is not be the control freak bossy one. Oh, people started laughing because they know it's true. You know... God loves the people that lay back and be the humble one and let somebody else, you know, take the charge because they think that they really know the answers and can figure it all out. Maybe they are going the wrong direction, but maybe you love on them and love them through what they're doing and they'll come out on the other side and look to you and say, I've never seen you quite like that before. See how quiet everybody got? Let them be the one in charge. You take the back seat for a change and love them through their situation. Oh, so that's not the way you cook turkey. Oh, how many cooks in a kitchen can start a fire? And I'm not talking on the stove. It's what happens so many times. It's supposed to be a time of joy and a time of happiness, but more people go away from the holiday season with more strife than they had before they went into the holiday season. We should be the ones that help bring peace into a holiday situation. We should be the ones that help bring joy into a holiday situation. We bring in wisdom and tact. If they're having a situation, you just diffuse it. You go in there with the idea and the mindset, I'm a diffuser. This is my name for the holiday season. My new name is Miss Diffuser, Mr. Diffuser. That's what I do. Somebody starts something, you say, excuse me, just a moment. And you go to the restroom, you say, diffuser, 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 diffuser. That's who I am. I'm a diffuser. I'm a diffuser. Oh, they're about to upset me, but I'm a diffuser. I'm a diffuser. God, grace me. Give me the strength. Give me the ability. I'm a diffuser. I'm a diffuser. Oh, they, they knew that when they pushed that button. They knew that. They knew that. They brought it up again, but I'm a diffuser. And you walk out of that situation with them loving you and caring about you, but even more than that, they care about the God that you care about then. 
And you never said one word about God. And you can do that very same thing in your work, with your close family, with your friends, with everybody that you come in contact with. Nebuchadnezzar was ready to kill them. How bad can it get? Is your family members ready to kill you? Well, maybe some of them are. But you understand what I'm saying? It can be so bad that people can actually be ready to kill you and God can give you wisdom on how to get out of that with wisdom and tact. He can give you the exact words to say. He can help you to know, well, you know, uh, you're talking about a situation and and it gets really, really bad and you just start saying something about the, the clothes they've got on or the dress that they've got on or you change it to the weather or you change it to this or you say, you know, that's the best turkey I ever eaten. It could be the driest turkey you ever had, but you don't have to lie. You figure out some way of saying something nice. You know, Keith tells the story about this guy that, um, it was his funeral, you know, and uh, he was like the meanest man in town, you know, and nobody could ever say anything nice about him. And he was just mean, 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 mean. And uh, they had his funeral, and he was sitting up there in the casket, and and everybody was coming past him, and there was this one man in town that never, ever, ever said anything mean to anybody. He just never said anything bad about anybody. It was always good. And... Um, when he got to him, everybody just stopped. The whole room just drew silent and just watched him to see what he was going to say about this man because they knew how mean this man in the casket was and they knew that nobody could say anything nice about him. And so everybody just stopped to hear what he was going to say. And the man walked past the casket just real slowly and he looked him in the eye and he said, you know what? He had to be the best whistler I ever heard in my life. <laughs> and that's the way it needs to be with us. You, you, you may have to stay up all night every night from now till Christmas Day to figure out something nice to say to your sister <laughs> or something nice to say to your mother or your brother because you know that the minute that you walk in the door, they're going to find 26 things wrong with you. My mother loved to hear me. She loved to hear me speak. She loved to hear me get up. She loved to hear me do things. She was, uh, Keith says we don't use the word proud, but she was proud. She was proud. Anything we did. But the minute that I would get down, she would tell me, well, now, Phil, your hair wasn't right, your makeup wasn't right, your clothes weren't right, this wasn't right, this wasn't right, because that's your mother. She'll find things wrong with you. Yours may be the same way. She may find something wrong with everything that you do, or your sister may find something wrong with everything. But you find something positive for everything that they say negative, you find something positive to say to them. Do it in wisdom and tact. And that will win more people to the Lord. For years and decades, they may be watching today, both my sisters and my dad and my mom, they never listened to us. We could be there in town. We could be 10 miles from where they were holding a service. They wouldn't come. They wouldn't come. They didn't want to hear it. But now, after decades and decades and decades, they'll come. But you know what? We didn't. We didn't sit there through Christmas and try to preach to them about Jesus. We didn't sit there and say, here's you a Bible for your Christmas present. You need it, sissy. Get in that thing. 
change your ways or you're going to hell. The doors are going to fling wide open and you're going right there. That life you've been leading, brother. Hey, brother, you're smoking and you're drinking and you're cussing and you're going right to hell. They made a place right for you. No, that's not going to win anybody. And God didn't call us to do that. What did he call us to do? Love them and preach what to them? Good news. Good news. I love you. I don't care what's happened between us in the past. This could be the time to set everything straight. I don't care what you did. I love you anyway. I don't care how bad it was. I don't care if you got mama's house and the car and the diamond jewelry and the stove and the, and the crocheted blanket. That every stitch she, she'd stitch, she just said, I love you, sweetheart. I love you. And she got that too. What you do is you go in and you say, I love you. I love you. Because you know what? You've got better than that in heaven. And you know what your promises are. And you know who gives you greater and better things. And nothing you get down here is to be compared to what you get up there. And the only hope that they have right now is the things that they can see and the things that they get here and now. But you're wiser than that. You know that you have better. So why would we fight over these natural things here on the earth when we have a grand and glorious thing that our Father has given us? Why would we fight over a house or a car? Or why would we fight over who did this or who said that? When we're wiser and know that the most important thing is their soul. And the time. That's what this verse was talking about earlier. Let's go back and read it just a second. Make sure you understand it. Psalm 90, verse 12. In the Living Bible, please. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. The King James says, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Think about this. Don't be one of those people that something happened to your family member tomorrow and you get through this Christmas season and you think about, I should have made it right. I should have got that right. She talked to me about that in that Christmas, in that message right before Christmas, and I didn't do it. I didn't put forth all my efforts to make things right. I didn't do everything that I could to get things right with them. You are God's witness. You are his light. It's our job to walk in love with every person that he sets before us. He's given us, that's one of the things that we got when we got saved. We got his love abiding in us. And that's what makes you different from your brother and sister. It isn't them that's changed. Guess what? Guess who changed? You did. They're not so different. They haven't grown into these bad, horrible people. It's you that changed and are seeing things greater and better and more alive and more, more full of love. They're still the same. And without the mercy and grace of God, you would still be exactly in that same place. But it's just his mercy and grace that's brought you to some light and helped you to see his love. And it's our job to help them see that love. 
and get through this season. It's our job to help them see that he loves them. And maybe they don't know anything about the Lord when this Christmas season is through. But maybe by the end of next year, they can start calling you. And, and never begrudge that the only time they call you is when they need something. Why would you begrudge the only thing that you have going for you? That the only time they call you is when they need something. Because they know that's where the answer is. They know you have an answer that they don't have. They know you have revelation that they don't have. They may think it's money, but it's not money. It's the wisdom of God in you that can help them. And the only time they call is... I need this or I want this or something's wrong or help me. That's your time. Don't preach to them, love them. And that's what we do this holiday season. Amen. That's the wisdom and tact God gave Daniel. And if you'll go on, he was able to interpret the dream and they didn't get killed. He asked Nebuchadnezzar for time and he interpreted the dream and he was able to do it and none of the wise men got killed. He didn't get killed. It all worked out. Well, you don't want your family members getting bad, do you? Well, you can do the very same thing for them. You can kind of stand in the gap and just love on them until they get past whatever things that they're going through. Maybe they're doing drugs. Maybe when you go in there, they're going to be mean as a junkyard dog. You love them right past it. Do whatever it takes to get them right past it. Can you say amen? amen. I believe you can. I believe you have the grace of God in you to do it. Look with me at... Psalm 105, verse 22. This is the NIV, guys. It says the Pharaoh was talking about Joseph, and he said that he gave him permission to instruct his princesses, princes as it ple he pleased and to teach his elders wisdom. The message says to personally instruct his princes and to train his advisors in wisdom. And that's exactly kind of what we're talking about today. It's instructing and training people in wisdom. It's instructing and training people to be wise. Not go into a situation like a bull in a china shop. You ever heard that expression? We don't have to be that. We can be wise people and go into situations and fix situations. Proverbs 19.20 says this. This is King James. Hear counsel and receive instruction that thou may be wise in thy latter end. The New Living says... I mean, the Amplified says, hear counsel and receive instruction and accept correction that you may be wise in the time to come. The New Living says, get all the advice and instruction you can so that you will be wise the rest of your life. That's who we are. We should never begrudge instruction or advice that can keep us from causing problems that we can't fix. Somebody could go in Christmas and just say just, they just can't, ha can't hold it in any longer and just blow up and give somebody a piece of their mind, the very piece they can't afford to lose. <laughs> and ruin a situation forever. 
and never speak to their family member again. What cost is there in that? It's very costly. You don't want to do that. Look at this with me, and I think you'll enjoy it. Ephesians chapter 1. How do we get this understanding and this wisdom? I think everybody wants the wisdom, right? Are you ready to grow in wisdom? Well, what you have to do is you have to realize when you get the understanding a little bit, you have to use the wisdom. You can't just ignore the instruction that you got. You can't just ignore things that the Lord shows you to do. When he says do it this way, you have to do it that way. That's how you grow in it. But listen to this. Ephesians 1, NIV, verse 8, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Read this next verse with me. That he lavished on us, what? Now, what does lavished mean? Does it mean he just sprinkled it on you? It mean he gave you just a little squirt? He scrimped by? It means you ain't got enough to get out of the rain? Huh? No, it means he gave you an abundance of wisdom. He, la- he just, I mean, it's like, you ever seen what God does? He takes a cup, like Keith says... And he doesn't just spill it up. What does he do? He overflows it. And he doesn't just fill up a net with fishes. What does he do? He breaks it. And he doesn't just give you wisdom. What does he do? He lavishes you with wisdom. Because that's the kind of God he is. He gives you things in abundance so that you don't have any lack for them. You don't have to wonder, do I have wisdom? But what you have to do is you have to tap into that wisdom. You have to do what we were talking about with the guy that was saving up his money. You have to have a relationship with God. You have to look to him for this wisdom. You can't just go in there and say, I'm going to do this. This is what my feelings say. You can't just go into any situation and say, this is how I feel. This is what I'm going to do. You've got to step back for five seconds and say, God, what do you say about this? What was it that verse said? It is God's... Uh, does anybody remember how it said it? His... Uh, we'll find it here. I don't want to misquote, misquote it. Comprehensive insight into his ways and purposes. So God, what is your comprehensive insight? And what's your purpose into this situation? You have to be wise enough to step back and say, I don't know the end from the beginning. I don't know if I say this like this, what's going to happen? I don't know if I do this like this, what's going to happen? Maybe my bill is so messed up with the IRS, they messed it up so bad, but if I go and say this, then it's going to get worse. Maybe my relationship with my ex-wife is so messed up that if I say this, it's going to get worse. Maybe my relationship with my, this is like this, and you don't know how to fix it. 
but there is somebody that knows how to fix it. But you have to take the time and step back and say, God, give me your wisdom on it. Give me your comprehensive insight. Because if you do it your way, you could be messing it up worse. But he'll give you the answer on how to fix the situation because he's lavished his wisdom upon you. But you have to look to him. You don't know the answer of how to make more money. But I tell you what, I know somebody who does. You don't know how to fix a situation where somebody wants to kill you or cause you problems or sue you or do this to the you. But I know somebody who does. And he will give it to you. He's not withholding it from you. He wants to lavish it on you. But you have to stop and take the time and ask him for it. And not just do it your own way. There's a lot of situations like we were doing on this building that we needed favor with the city and we needed this to happen and we needed this to happen. And some people made some mistakes on some stuff and we needed it to not go that way because contractors do things and people do things and you need it fixed and you didn't have any way of knowing it. But there you are in the middle of it. And you need favor. God, how do we do this? You do exactly what he says do, the way he says do it, and you'll come out of it okay. But you get in there and you open your mouth and say what you want to say and you'll cause yourself a mess that even God himself can't fix. But you step back and you do it exactly the way God says do it and he'll answer every question for you and he'll fix every situation for you. But you've got to do it his way. Listen to this. Um, And he's made known to us the mystery according to his will and his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. The Amplified says... In him we have redemption, deliverance, and salvation through his blood, the remission or forgiveness of our offenses, shortcomings, and trespasses in accordance with the riches and generosity of his gracious favor, which he lavished upon us every kind of wisdom and understanding. That means every kind of situation he's there for you. Practical insight and prudence that he gave to you. So any situation, all you have to do is look to him. I don't care if you're a brunette, you still need wisdom. (laughs) I don't care what color your hair is. I have to use it probably more than most, but you got to use it too. Doesn't matter. If you're old or you're young, I don't care how many degrees you have behind your name. None of that stuff matters because it's not a degree that's going to help you out of situations. It's only the wisdom of God that will help you to get through situations that you need to get through. Because you know what? Sometimes people with degrees come up against people with degrees and they cause each other problems. And that's not what you need. It's only the wisdom of God that will see you through and pull you through. Can you say amen? Amen. Stand up on your feet and I want us to do something. Let me read you this verse before we do. If you would put it up on the screen, Proverbs 8.12. I think somebody should get excited about this verse. Uh, King James. Nobody didn't shout or dance or nothing on that. I think somebody should get excited about that. 
He lavished upon us all wisdom. Right? And if He lavished upon us all wisdom, I wisdom dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. Do you know a lot of wealthy people in the world have come up with some of the dumbest inventions you've ever seen in your life? I mean, name some of them. I mean, a pop-top to a can, a tomato cutter, or, uh, you know, uh, tools that you can, you know. Dave was talking about the other day, some, the guy that invented the carpet stretcher. You know, I mean, just witty inventions. Now, why can't God give them to you and 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 you? I mean, you work in surgery, you work in this department and landscaping stuff, you need to get in a pond. You might find something to walk across water. Who knows? I mean, there's things that God can give us witty inventions for. And who's going to, who should get those inventions? The wise. Right? We are the wise of God. But what it takes is a stopping and asking God for them. Instead of just working ourselves to death night and day, people killing themselves trying to work from 6 in the morning till midnight every night on jobs, lay back in your bed sometime and spend some time with him and say, God, that wisdom she's been talking about. Hey, hey, you up there. I can use some of that. I've been having this idea about this thing. Can you show me how to make that work? I think, I'll be honest with you, I think Dan needs one of those lawnmowers that goes that fast that can cut the yard in 30 minutes, as fast as he goes. I think he needs one of those, don't y'all? Yeah. A witty invention. And you could, something for your kitchen, something for your kids, something that you are believing for. Get there, lay in bed. What could it do for the kingdom of God? A witty invention. You might not have to work another day in your life. So here we go. This is what I want us to do. If you would, put up there on the screen. Paul is talking to the saints at Ephesus. And put up there Ephesians 1, verse 17. He's not really talking. He's actually praying for the saints at Ephesus. And this should be something that you pray over yourself all the time. And so I want, I'm going to pray it over you, and then you should mark it in your Bible. You got your Bible there? Pick it up. Get you a pen. Mark in it. Like Brother Hagin says, if you can't mark in your Bible, throw it away. Get one of ours that you can mark in. Put your name in it. Get your pen ready, because you're going to have to do something. Are you ready? Okay. I'm going to say it, and then I want you to say it after me. He says, I keep asking God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give unto me the spirit of wisdom... But I want you to say it this way. 
that he may give unto Rob, Dan, that, put your name in there, that he may give unto me Rob, that he may give unto me Dan, that he may give unto me Shireen, that he may give unto me Deborah, that he may give unto me, you know, whoever you are. Say it just exactly that way because I'm going to say it, me, Phyllis, right? Father, I ask you, that you would give unto me, Phyllis, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that I would know you better. And I pray that the eyes of my heart would be enlightened in order that I would know the hope of your glory and the riches and the inheritance of the saints and your incomparable great power to us who believe. And that power that's working by your mighty strength when you exerted it and raised Christ from the dead and seated him at your right hand. And far above, far above all principalities, all principalities and, rule, and rule and power and, power, and, dominion, and dominion and every title, and every title that, can be given. that can be given. I thank you, God, thank you, God that you placed all things, placed all things under, your feet, under your feet and that you're the head, you're the head over, all the church, over all the church and the body, and the body which, is the fullness which is the fullness of you. Of you. Now thank him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Now if all you do the rest of the day is walk around and you say, I thank you, Lord, that you've given unto me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And you walk around all day long and you say, I thank you, Lord, that you've given unto me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You would be right in line with the Bible and what you just prayed. And it would just be grand if you woke up every morning and prayed this prayer over yourself. The devil's under my feet, and you've given unto me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The devil's under my feet, and you've given unto me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And who knows? We could have people with witty inventions. We're going to have the best Christmas season that we've had in a long time. Can you say amen? Amen. Glory to God.